0: Making people's lives better.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. If you're a Zoomer, there's no question you remember where you were on November 22, 1963 the day President John F. Kennedy was assassinated.
2: There has been an attempt, as perhaps you know now, on the life of President Kennedy. He was wounded in an automobile driving from Dallas Airport into downtown Dallas, along with Governor Connolly of Texas. They've been taken to Parkland Hospital there, where their condition is as yet unknown.
1: Fifty years later, there's still a lot of controversy surrounding the events that afternoon in Dallas. Were there two shooters or just one? Did one bullet hit two people? Coming up, we'll hear what modern forensic science has to say, and we'll also talk to Conrad Black about Kennedy's accomplishments in office. Plus, are you on cholesterol-lowering statins? Over 38 million prescriptions for these drugs were filled in Canada last year. This week, new guidelines came out of the United States, suggesting twice as many people should be taking these pills. What does it mean for Canadian Zoomers? I'll talk to cardiologist and heart and stroke spokesperson, Dr. Beth Abramson. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. New research shows about 30% of residents in Ontario long-term care homes are on antipsychotic drugs, even though they haven't been diagnosed with psychosis. According to a health policy professor at York University, this amounts to residents being chemically restrained. Dr. Joel Lexchen says these drugs are used so much because of understaffing of homes where there are large numbers of residents with dementia who can sometimes have behavioural problems. The Canadian Institute for Health Information says the 30% usage numbers are comparable across the country and the GTA. A new study has found a way to boost brain function in Alzheimer patients. Get them to sing show tunes.
3: Oh, Oklahoma, when the the, the,
1: the four month study at a U.S. care home found that the mental performance of right Alzheimer patients day. who took part in regular group oh, sing alongs improved compared to those who just listened. Researchers had the patients sing familiar songs from musicals such as The Sound of Music, Oklahoma, and The Wizard of Oz. They found it had the biggest effect on patients with moderate to severe Alzheimer's. The study was presented at a meeting of the Society of Neuroscience in San Diego. A new RBC poll finds that 4 in 10 Canadians are not retiring on a date of their choosing. The poll suggests that while 80% of Canadians approaching retirement think they'll get to choose the day they step away from their careers, the reality is that more than 40% of retirees say they did not leave on a date of their choice. The key reasons for their unanticipated departures were employers' request, affecting 41%, and health reasons, affecting 22%. The annual poll also revealed that 20% of retirees had as little as one month or no advance notice before retirement, with the majority reporting they had a year or less to prepare. However... Despite being pushed into it, three quarters of those surveyed said, in hindsight, they retired at the right time. Prince Charles won't be retiring anytime soon, even though he's now a pensioner. The royal heir celebrated his 65th birthday on Thursday. At an age when most people are ready to retire, the Prince of Wales is still waiting for his turn to do the job he was born for. Charles is the longest waiting heir to the throne in Britain's history, having moved into that role in 1952 when he was three years old. As for his pension, because of his service in the Royal Navy and voluntary contributions, he's entitled to £110 or roughly $175 a week. He's claiming it and donating it to an unnamed charity supporting Zoomers. I'm Libby Nimer and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world.
2: From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Vice President Lyndon Johnson <clears throat> has left the hospital in uh, Dallas, but we do not know uh, to where he has proceeded Uh, Presumably, he will be taking the oath of office shortly and become uh, the 36th president of the United States.
1: Next week marks the 50th anniversary of that traumatic event in American history. If you're a Zoomer, you'll remember exactly where you were when you heard the news. Despite the official explanation from the Warren Commission that Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone shooter... The assassination has been fodder for conspiracy theories over the last half century. A new documentary called Cold Case JFK uses modern forensic science to test this theory. I reached producer Rush Deneuer at PBS in New Jersey.
4: Basically, they concluded that the single bullet theory that says one bullet hit, President Kennedy came, uh, went through his neck and then hit Governor Connolly in his back. That's been something that has always uh, uh, been controversial. A lot of people have argued that that's impossible. They did a number of tests, and they clearly show that it it is definitely possible.
1: And what about the third shot? uh,
4: Yeah, that's a question a lot of people say. Well, if the single bullet theory is true, this one bullet went through two men, and it looks almost pristine, undamaged, how could it behave so differently differently? In the third shot, in other words, the bullet that hit Kennedy in the head was not pristine. It came apart, and the difference is, it hit very hard, very thick, very dense bone. But when that bullet hits hard bone, the shell is broken, and cracked, and the brain tissue uh, is almost like a liquid. The bullet starts disintegrating, and the lead starts coming out.
1: The conclusion: there was only one shooter. One bullet missed, a second hit both the president and Governor John Connolly, and the third killed Kennedy. A popular president in his day, after JFK's tragic death, he was idealized and mythologized. To assess his legacy, I sat down with Conrad Black, co-host of The Zoomer on Vision TV. His latest book, Flight of the Eagle, is a strategic history of the U.S. focusing on the American presidents. First of all, Conrad, where were you?
5: I was actually, which was a rare occasion, attending a lecture as a freshman at university. And uh, just when I got home and turned on the television, they announced he died. It was terribly shocking. And it's, I think, rivaled only by the 9-11 uh, attacks as the most shocking sudden event in my life.
1: I was a very small child I'm surprised you
5: were even born really.
1: <laughs> well thank you I mean we were we were sent home
5: when yes, it happened. yeah well, I yeah, mean you yeah, think it about it as another event. country yes another country but especially in those days uh, you know you couldn't tell and you still don't do it easily I, Canadian, an English-speaking Canadian from an American from a northern state and, you know, there were only eight channels on television and most of them were American and he was a very popular president so it it was almost like one of us, you know, and I think a lot of countries felt that way.
1: He was also, I mean, he and Jackie were so glamorous and he was such a good speaker and he really um, inspired people. But I think now as we head to this 50th anniversary, his legacy is starting to be reexamined.
5: Well, his legacy wasn't that strong. He was only the president for, what, two years and 10 months. And you can't do an unlimited amount of things in that time. But he was popular and charming and likable and intelligent and showed a high prospect of being a very successful president if he could serve two full terms. And I'm sure he would have been reelected if he lived – um, and, and he got to the right position on civil rights and on taxes, reduction of taxes. But he couldn't get anywhere. Even though he had Lyndon Johnson, the longtime leader of the Senate, as his vice president, he didn't use him properly. But when Johnson succeeded him, he got, he got those things passed. And where would the country be without civil rights? But it was Johnson's achievement, not Kennedy's. As a president, he was, his, his achievements were prospective more than real.
1: Was he mythologized, put on a pedestal? Did he get a lot of credit that he perhaps didn't deserve?
5: I think he was a very attractive personality with a very attractive wife whom I, whom I did meet a number of times she, many years later. She And she was an extremely intelligent, charming woman. But um, I, I think, I think there, there was the view that he was a very attractive man who was probably going to be a very distinguished president. Uh, and, and and there was just this tremendous universal sense of what a horrible tragedy befell him. And, and that uh, – you know, the only compensation for the tragedy involved is that it does wonders for – on a public relations scale. I mean nobody really wants to attack a man who died like that and showed such promise in such a great office. The entourage around Kennedy were for the most part a self-serving group of, of – mediocre, or at least second-level academic tinkerers. And they had no great aptitude to govern. And Speaker Sam Rayburn famously said, and this is in David Halberstam's book on the subject, to then-Vice President Johnson, I hope these people are as bright as you think they are, but I wish one of them had just once (laughs) run for county sheriff.
1: When all is said and done, when we look at his presidency, where do you think he stands in the... Above
5: average, but... uh, Above average but not a a great president uh, of which there are only three or four and not in that second group of unusually talented presidents which probably includes amongst those that he knew well and were at least partly contemporary with him, uh, Truman, Eisenhower and Nixon.
1: Final question. Mm. Conspiracy theories abound. Why do you think that – this event has given rise to so much
5: of that. I, I, look, you're, there always are people who are suspicious of, of the official accounts of shocking events. And, and there are a lot of kooks around who who, who just <laughs> yeah. go off the wall claiming extraordinary things. Uh, um, and it was such a shocking event. There, and and the, the apparent explanation of it seems so simplistic. One single person, a misfit would do this, it, it, you know, it, it seems implausible. But uh, on, uh, you know, after a great deal of uh, uh, of examination on the evidence, it appears that it was what it seemed to be and what the Warren Commission said it was, even though they conducted in some ways a slapdash investigation, namely a single person acting alone fired two shots. Terrible sh- and a shocking thing and a great tragedy.
1: Conrad Black, thanks so much.
5: Thank you for having me on.
1: I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Do you have high cholesterol? Many Zoomers do and are on statins to try to curb it. But new guidelines out of the United States have some doctors worried that these drugs will soon be massively overprescribed. In just a moment, I'll talk to cardiologist Dr. Beth Abramson to find out more.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better.
1: It's being called a huge departure from decades of advice on preventing cardiovascular disease. On Tuesday, American authorities changed the guidelines for prescribing cholesterol-busting drugs called statins. Now, instead of focusing on lowering bad cholesterol and monitoring those levels regularly doctors are being told to put more patients on medications like Crestor and Lipitor. According to some estimates, these guidelines could double the number of people on statins. How do you know if you should be taking these drugs? I talked to cardiologist Dr. Beth
6: Abramson. We try and prevent future heart attack and stroke in everybody, and we're all at risk. And the older we are, the higher our risk for cardiovascular disease If you have a patient of mine who has had a heart attack or a stroke, they need to be on cholesterol-lowering medications. And for everyone else, we need to calculate risk. What these guidelines say is, go out there and calculate risk, and there are more people than we realize who need to be on these drugs to lower our future risk.
1: Now, when these drugs are prescribed, the patients are also told they have to lower their bad cholesterol. And these guidelines say, don't worry about your bad cholesterol, Just go on the drugs.
6: Well, I think what this is is a reaction to the fact that we have good, potent, powerful medications out there. So for most of the cholesterol-lowering drugs I prescribe, I'm going to get my patients to the numbers I want them to be at. The other thing about this guideline that I think is a little controversial, and having read it, there are some things I would have written a little differently for the physicians reading it, is that they put the medications first. And I know, and we know, that it's a combination of lifestyle changes and medications. Well, they can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. We're in the midst of a, a, an obesity epidemic, and people don't exercise, and, and there you go. Well, this is partially a reaction to the fact that um, some people have given up from a societal perspective. We live in a supersized environment. We allow ourselves to accept that taking a pill is easier, and it is, than making a lifestyle change. But I I may be naive. I, I won't give up, and I won't suggest that Canadians give up. Trying to make changes where you lead a heart-healthy life, and that means trying to get to a healthier body weight by making small changes in your everyday routine, regular activity, eating low-fat foods, watching, your, watching what you are eating is still important. Okay, now they talk about calculating
1: risk, and the idea is uh, they've lowered the threshold where they say, go on these drugs. So how do you or
6: your doctor calculate your risk? We know that if you do not yet have heart disease, we have to calculate your risk based on your age. And talking to to Zoomers out there, I have to say, the older you are, the higher risk for heart attack and stroke, all else being equal. Knowing your blood pressure, seeing if you have diabetes, and looking at your cholesterol levels. Also, some old-fashioned assessments, like taking out a tape measure and seeing what your waist is. And for the men out there, it's not your pant size, it's your waist, because some people out there have that little Canadian tire that goes over their pants. (laughs) So we have to be careful, and calculating a risk of future heart attack and stroke is based on a few of these variables. And I think these guidelines reflect, um, I don't know if it's a little bit of giving up or a little bit of realism that from, on average, people are would rather take a pill. Bottom line, what
1: should Zoomers do? Where should they go to check this you know, out?
6: I think Zoomers should talk to their doctor about their future risk of heart disease. And you should at an annual health exam, whether you're a woman or a man, get your blood pressure checked, get your cholesterol checked, and talk about um, how I can lower my future risk. There are people out there, and probably more people now after these guidelines, although it's the same concept than we thought before, who could qualify and may need cholesterol-lowering medications, but making lifestyle changes are important as well. Okay. Dr. Beth Avonson, thanks so much. My pleasure. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer
1: Weekend Review. After the break, we'll take a look at an interesting way the JFK administration was idealized with a connection to a very popular musical of the time.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better.
1: Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Scott Walker.
3: In New York City this weekend, two British knights are recreating a classic of 20th century theatre. Sir Ian McKellen and Sir Patrick Stewart have brought their award-winning London production of Beckett's Waiting for Godot to the Court Theatre in repertory with Pinter's No Man's Land. Uh, Shuler Hensley and Billy Crudup are also starring. The city of Chicago is getting into the holiday spirit with a display of 50 Christmas trees, each decorated in a different culture's customs and traditions. Christmas around the world is at the Museum of Science and Industry. And in Australia, Melbourne Music Week is on until November 24th with a program of imaginative and eclectic performances. More than 100 events involving more than 230 artists are going on around the city. That's your International Arts Datebook. I'm Scott Walker.
1: Before we leave you today, we'll take a look at an interesting piece of trivia about the Kennedy administration. After JFK's assassination, Jackie Kennedy was very worried about the legacy of her husband's time in office. She believed history was written by old men with a pessimistic viewpoint on the world. To help prevent the Kennedy name from being tarnished, she contacted Theodore H. White, a writer with Life magazine, to give a personal interview for the first edition after JFK's death. It was during that interview that she first used the term Camelot to describe the administration. Camelot, the tale of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, had been one of JFK's favorite childhood stories. The heroes in the fable reflected young Kennedy's idealistic view of the world. In 1960, the musical Camelot hit Broadway and the original cast recording became America's top-selling record for 60 weeks straight. According to Jackie, her husband loved the musical so much that he bought the album and listened to it almost every night before he went to bed. She says his favorite lines were during the title track, sung, don't let it be forgot, that once there was a spot for one brief shining moment that was known as Camelot. That's how she wanted the world to see the Kennedy administration, a brief shining moment in American history.
3: Each evening... From December to December, before you drift to sleep upon your cot, think back on all the tales that you remember of Carmelot. Ask every person if he's heard the story, and tell it strong and clear if he has not that once there was a fleeting wisp of glory called Camelot. Camelot, Camelot, my once it never rained till after sundown. By 8 a.m. the morning fog had flown. Don't let it be forgot that once there was a spot for one brief shining moment.
1: That was the theme from Camelot, a song that reflects how Jackie Kennedy wanted the world to see her husband's administration. November 22nd marks the 50th anniversary of JFK's death. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Thanks for joining me today. Come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide.
0: You've been listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review. Brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sunlight Financial. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nye. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bandrea. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio.